Hello everybody and welcome back to the third episode of the Kent Business Podcast. Now this is the time where we are running weekly now guys. We're running weekly from the beginning of May right through until the end of time. So we're really looking forward to having guests on the show and uh, bringing you a variety of different people and different examples of work as well which is should be really great over the next 12 months at the very least. Today's episode, we've got Stuart Kenny on the podcast, and unfortunately, there is a slight uh, issue with the sound from Stuart's part, and I apologise for that. That was my fault. Um, I've done the best so we can hear Stuart have a have a fantastic interview about the business and some of the areas that Liquid Computing are focusing on at the moment. So I really hope you guys enjoy. This is the Kent Business Podcast. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to the Kent Business Podcast. My name is Ben Abbott and I'm here with my guest today, Stuart Kenny from Liquid Computing. Hi Stuart. Hi Ben, how are you? Um, So today we're going to be talking through what it is that Liquid do and some of the areas in IT that you may not necessarily know that much about uh, as a listener and to kind of divulge into a little bit maybe about some Bitcoin, see what some people are doing around that, um, different practices especially with GDPR coming up that you need to do with your website and just in general kind of the the view on Kent business and the experiences as a result of that as well. So Stuart, tell me about Liquid Computing. Oh, Liquid Computing, we've actually been around here a long time. Um, we've been operating for 16 years now. Um, we started the business uh, myself. I was a classic uh, entrepreneurial typey. Um, gave up my career in London and started as a um, sole trader. Um, I can even remember it's the 22nd of February um, 2002. Um, so yeah, a long time ago, counting the numbers now. Um, and basically just slowly built the company up, um, really with an image to do everything IT. It's probably the hardest thing that we should never have done. <laughs> if you talk to experts, they say, be, be brilliant at one thing um, and not average at everything. But we, we like to believe um, that we are very good at all we do. But it has taken, it's been a, a, a long journey. But yeah, we're, our company does everything client needs with their IT. So we'll look after, you know, we can register a domain name, that's very, very simple. Um, we can provide website hosting, and we can do all the things that are really good for a startup. The startups do get into a bit of a pickle, um, because they, they're very concentrating on their business name, but they're not thinking about the email and the web address and that they all tie together and they're around their brand business name so sometimes they get it a bit wrong and then they have to unravel later on um, going on from that um, we do we build websites we do design we do marketing elements that go with the website um, so we help companies basically search engine optimize their website as aggressive as they dare try um, then we have a help desk here so our help desk deals with individuals with their a sole trader may have their one laptop, their one computer, it's their world. We look after their world. Um, we have other clients that have multiple servers dotted around locations in the UK and we run their entire IT infrastructure. So without getting into too much detail, I suppose everything that's connected to the internet connection between that and the keyboard, we look after it and we make it work. Um, 
then the final sort of steps, elements of what we do are software development, so a very big thing within Liquid now, so bespoke, web-based systems, um, and we also do VoIP, so we have a client that's become a partner, um, and we deliver a VoIP solution, so quite a lot of stuff. So what, what is VoIP, for those people who don't know? Well, it's voice over internet protocol, and I hate using it. And that means, yeah. <laughs> it's really old tech. It's been around a long time. It's making a telephone call that connects across the internet. So if I pick up a phone here now and make a phone call, by the magic of um, cloud power, the, the phone can work out whether it's making a phone call to another BT number and therefore it connects through the BT exchange and therefore you'll pay your normal charges for your call plan. If it works out that the other end is a, another VoIP number, it will connect through the internet and therefore it will be free. So you make phone calls just like you always would on any phone. It works exactly like it would on any other phone. Uh, but generally all the calls to any other VoIP user are free. And if you make phone calls to people that are not on the internet, so say traditionally BT, you get a, a bundle of minutes, just like you do with a mobile phone, and you use those up. Um, so VoIP is just a, a more modern way of doing your comms, but with, um, with the internet being fast now, you know, many years ago that was a problem with the internet, but with most people having high-speed broadband, the VoIP systems work incredibly well, and they're really cheap to buy and to have. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I know uh, quite a few businesses now switch over to, to VoIP just because of how easy it is, where being able to connect it on your phone, on the go, on your mobile, and you know accessing a, a lot of different variations of that as well. So that seems to be... A real, the real crunch of the one, we only work with products that we like. And we, our client created a company called Cunify. Uh, Cunify built their own platform, so it's cloud-based telephony. Now, many companies boast of having this, but what you can configure when you log into your account is very limited. On the Cutify platform, everything on your phone system is completely configurable, and we can teach anyone in the business to do it. So once you have the system, uh, you know, you're talking of it costing around about 10, 11 pounds per user per month, but you have all the features of what we call PBX, which is yeah. <laughs> it's a big box on the wall somewhere yeah. in your building there's a big metal box screwed to the wall and it had all the brains for your phone system and that's what you configured you had an engineer that would basically tell it how to run your phone system but today you log into a website and the website will allow you to add uh, a new user that user you can tell it they've got a mobile phone they've got uh, a landline they have their own direct dial um, you just add them in and then you can add them into things like call flow. So call flow is where if somebody rings your direct dial and you don't answer, the call flow will say, okay, after three seconds, send it to this person's phone or send it to that group of telephones. And effectively, you can direct it around. You can send it off to mobile phone numbers and any number on the planet. Uh, ultimately, if no one does answer, you can send it to voicemail and then the system will record that, put it on a, a little file, attach it to an email and send it to you. Yeah. So if you're traveling out in business and you get an email in, you can actually listen to it on your mobile phone, hands-free, of course, um, and then you can actually call them. And they'll be very impressed because they'll be like, hey, we just left the message. And it's like, that's the power of tech. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, because I don't 
actually know aside from a few businesses that are the more traditional like law firms maybe some insurance firms that i've been in um, they tend to have standard phone systems in there but for, for the most part a lot of new businesses that i go into seem to have a lot of voip systems now and it seems to be pushing towards probably everybody being at voip at a certain point i think it will uh, the cost model was one of the biggest changes um, so now that technology is really advanced, you can buy any phone. So you can't use a traditional phone because the little plug that goes into the telephone point um, is different. So you have to use what we call a computer connector cable, a Cat5. Apart from that, the phones are the same. Uh, but the real difference was the PDX. To buy a what we call a business-grade phone system, you'd spend thousands of pounds buying handsets and the PBX and if you were a large company you could be spending 10, 20, 30 or say an SME you could be spending a few thousand up to tens of thousands very large companies were spending hundreds of thousands today you can buy phones you know from about 80 pounds you can buy very very clever touch screen phones for two three hundred pounds there's no cost for the PBX that comes within your payment so you just have X number of users at a fixed price with your minutes bundle. You can change it each month so you can add users, remove users, you can even cancel the contract really quick. So it's sort of like everything, even the way we buy business services today, you know, many of us do monthly payments. Yeah. You know, that's the massive change in the industry, whereas years ago your accountant would say, here's your bill for your end of year um, financial work we've done for you for thousands of pounds. But today most of us pay X pounds per month. And that whole business model of X pounds a month is what's working. I think that's why VoIP was so popular. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense as well. Because I mean, just with the VoIP systems, and a question that came into my head just then actually is that: is it more cost-effective to have more people on VoIP than it is just for the one, or is it the way it works? You have to pay with our system, so every system might be different. So Qunify operates on users. So a user is someone that needs to have um, a handset. Um, or a soft phone, I'm going to use more tech now, um, <laughs> but they need to be able to call, you can call them, so they're users, so you pay for the number of users, but you can divert out, so if you need to divert a phone to, a num uh, to your home phone number, you don't have to pay for that privilege, you're only paying for the users you need, so you determine how many users and that's what you pay for, but if you need to reduce the cost, you can remove users and use forwarding. Um, we've even got a situation where in the field of um, voluntary sector, we've got people buying one user and they're making the system work for their needs on one user so they're spending only a few pounds a month but they're adding all this work technology into their um, charity. Yeah. So it's let us know what, you, what you're trying to do and we can tell you how you can configure it for the best commercial effect. Yeah, and, and that makes sense in a lot of in a lot of aspects as well. So VoIP is one area of your business. I mean, you mentioned quite a few um, that you touch on in terms of the IT sector. So what, what are some of the other areas that you're working on at the moment? Uh, a significant one for us is really the software development. That always makes it sound like we're very, very specialists and only deal with certain companies. But what we mean by software development is like a website that wants to be slightly more clever than your average website. Um, so if you need um, a user login area that provides information, documentation, it needs to interact with the user. Um, 
then we can build these, we can make these bespoke for the client and link them into the website so it's all part of their front-end world and it brings customers in and delivers information. Uh, an example would be um, we have, uh, if you take accountants, they have to produce paperwork for you at, at various points in the year. Uh, they do, might be doing your payroll every month, they might be doing, so doing your pay slips, they'll be doing P60s, they'll be doing the end of year, your tax returns, your POA. If that was all loaded into, if it's sitting on a piece of software on your server in your system, and you could automatically transfer that to a login area of your website, then your customers could be given a login, and instead of ringing up saying, can I have copies of my pay slips, have you, can I have another copy of my P60, you know, their whole world could be stored in their account. They could log in and access that stuff whenever they want. So we're writing uh, bespoke bits that uh, work, uh, that deliver business value, but again, we're making them talk to other systems. So these days, there's a lot of, you've seen a massive growth in cloud accounting. Yeah, absolutely. You've got Zero, you've got Cashflow, you've got all these different products, and they're very cheap to run, they're cheap to use. We can talk to those. We can write software that talks to those, so we can get your invoicing system to direct invoices from whatever you use straight into those systems. And we use things called APIs. So these are like manuals that say, this is how you connect to our system and this is the data you can move backwards and forwards. So we do a lot of that type of work, which makes it a little bit more unique than some. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. So you mentioned there about being able to access P60s and things like that on the website itself. I mean, the buzzword of the moment is GDPR. You know, where, where does that fit into all of this? Walked myself into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's all about security. Um, the GDPR, that's actually one of our favourite little babies at the moment. So initially in answering the question, it's all about maintaining security of that information because there will be personally identifiable information sitting on pay slips and things like that. So you'll be making the system secure from hackers. You'll be making sure users can get in using something like two-factor authentic authentication. And then you'll go, that's another question you're going to ask me. <laughs> Something you log into your banking, you know, they'll ask you for your username and password. That's the first step. But the second step will be either a code coming into your phone or a they'll ask you for three letters from a favorite word. And these are things that bits of software can't automate, they can't hack around. So we would design a system to be as secure as we can possibly make it by using physical security with servers and firewalls, but also the way people can log in and then who can log in. Um, so that's part of what we do. And the GDPR side is, it's a huge, huge topic. Yeah. <laughs> My little pet hate has been that there's lots of people talking about it. Yes. There's not many people offering solutions. And I must admit, it's a bit like sometimes you sound bored with the rhetoric. Um, I think companies, SMEs, want to know what they can do as opposed to there's this big scary requirement um, and it really isn't a big scary requirement because if I was being uh, fairly blunt everything about GDPR from an IT perspective is something we should have all been doing anyway it doesn't actually add anything new um, in my opinion you know, if you're running a business and you have data you want to protect it. You yeah. don't let anyone just have access to it. 
So you care about it. So many companies have for many years had their IT company moan at them and go, right, you need a server and with your server you'll need backup and that backup needs to be on site and it needs to be off site in the cloud. Um, but that's been the priority of it. But security, so many companies have routers but they don't have firewalls and really to prevent hacking, attacks to your network via hacking, you have a firewall. There's hardly anyone knows what these things are. You know, there's a pretty little white box in the corner with flashing green lights and a couple of aerials sticking out the back. But in reality, the firewall is an important piece of kit. Um, the other side uh, is antivirus and anti-ransom. So effectively, what we said in our webinar was, you can tick a lot of the boxes in terms of being compliant with GDPR by basically having solid antivirus, solid anti-ransom, a robust you know, corporate um, firewall, and the big, big buzzword um, in security world is encrypt, encrypt, encrypt. So one of the things we provide to clients is encryption, um, what we call hardware and software encryption. One is the machine itself. If you leave your laptop at the bus stop and suddenly get home and go, uh-oh, <laughs> you've had a data breach. And that's what GDPR is all about. Did you lose data? Did you let it get into the wrong person's hands? Well, losing your laptop, if it has lots of stuff on it or access to all your systems, then you may have had a breach. But if that machine's encrypted, if they can't log into it, and they try and steal the hard disk and plug it into another machine to see the files, which is what people do today, encryption will prevent that. Because that hard disk will not understand the machine that's been plugged into and it won't unencrypt. In its own machine, when you log in, it unencrypts for you. The software side is every single file you create in your business is encrypted. But because everyone in the business knows each other through the server, the server will go, you're safe, I'll unencrypt it. You're safe, I'll unencrypt it. So everything's moving around the business in a completely encrypted format. But it doesn't, nobody would know. It's just like you're working today, but there's encryption going on in the background. So if somebody tries to, say a cleaner got hold of a machine and started emailing out lots of important documents because they found them, they think, oh, I'll send that to my friend, that'll be really useful. That will topple the liquid empire. Um, once those files are attached to email and sent out, once the other user tries to view them, because they're not on the network and not a recognised user for that document, it won't unencrypt. Yeah. Therefore, the biggest worry, people talk about theft and um, hacking and uh, people attacking your systems, but your biggest issue is going to be losing an iPhone, losing a tablet, losing your laptop, accidentally sending an email with sensitive information to the wrong person. Now, these are things that are going to happen. Yeah, and, and happen on a regular basis as well. Absolutely. So what we're saying is if it's encrypted, then that should give you such a level of protection that if you have a breach, then you haven't had a breach. Because if it's encrypted, they can't see the contents, you won't have to stop doing what GDPR says, which is notify everyone you've had a breach. Now, if you've got hundreds of customers, that's a big job. Yes. Not a pleasant one either. <laughs> I don't know what it'll do for your reputation as a business, but you just avoid it. And encryption really, by comparison to the issue you're dealing with, is cheap as chips. And if you want to know how much chips cost, give us a call. <laughs> nice plug there. Uh, so, 
There's a lot um, to kind of go on from that, and I think it's probably time for us to take a, a little bit of a break. Um, and when we're back, we're going to be talking about websites, why you should or should not use Squarespace, and uh, websites of the like, uh, Wix, and um, and some of the the different security certificates that Google are kind of almost requiring uh, websites to have now in in the different security certificates. What's going on with some data mining and Bitcoin, where that's moving for the future in terms of the IT sector and some of the areas that, that Stuart's seen in Kent that are doing really well, some businesses that he'd like to promote and uh, just carrying on the conversation. See you after the break. Now we've all been networking and some networking events we tend to find are better than others and that's just the truth of the matter. Some fit certain personalities and some don't. Now, if you are the person that has, you know, a more relaxed approach to networking, you want to get to know the people around you. Now, this is something that not many networking events do. And if you're sick and tired of the 60-second pitch where you just get thrown business cards at you the entire time and don't really get to do anything, you just get a bunch of, you know, cold leads that don't work, that changes with BizLinks. BizLinks is a networking group based in Kent that are in four different locations. So there are four different boards available. To get an invitation to BizLinks, please email pmonger, that's P-M-O-N-G-E-R, at BizLinks, B-I-Z-L-I-N-X hyphen Kent dot co dot UK. That's pmonger at BizLinks hyphen Kent dot co dot UK to get your invite. Trust me, guys, it's well worth the time. Audio is a big part of marketing of the future, and with Maximum Media, we're able to produce fantastic audio content just like this podcast. We are able to provide the voice newsletter or voice blog where we change your blog or standardized newsletter into audio format so you can have your own company podcast it's super cheap and it will create a different buzz around your marketing activity now that's something that we all need to be doing if you're interested please give maximum media a call on 01843 262044 that's 01843 262044 044 to learn more about the voice newsletter and how you can adapt your marketing activity over the next five years so welcome back we're here with my guest Stuart Kenny from liquid computing and now we've had a little bit of a break we're going to talk about the uh, the dreaded Wix and uh, Squarespace phenomenon that's kind of happening with a lot of websites and, and SMEs and small business owners tend to go for at the moment just because of pricing structures. I mean, Stuart, what are your thoughts on these types of services being available? Parts of me cringes. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me goes, you know, they, they do do what they do, but I think the way they're, I think they do con business owners into a false sense of reality. Because the, what they are saying is that you can quickly, easily, within you know minutes or hours, create a full-blown quality commercial search engine optimized website that's responsive. Blah blah blah. And it's not the case. I've never met anyone that successfully managed within less than two or three days to successfully navigate and create a website without coming to total frustration and needing help. So I think that's, um, the systems are fine and I think they work for many people. But I think if your business is thinking that it's going to be easy, that's the misnomer. So in reality, you're probably better off finding a prop 
for a web company is you're going to invest hours and hours and hours of your time and effort and frustration. And you're supposed to be out there finding clients and providing services and making money. So why would you go and do that? Um, but they're very good in their advertising at convincing you how simple it is. And that's, for me, quite annoying. But <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, especially with, uh, you know, mentioned previously about the uh, the celebrity kind of presence that they're using quite a lot now to show how easy for their side projects of, I don't know, selling motorcycles or, um, I don't know, selling handbags or something. Absolutely. I'd love to know if anyone has met a famous Hollywood star that's actually gone and registered an account with one of these companies and built a website successfully. I'd love to hear from them. <laughs> My cynical brain says that's just cute marketing. Yes. Um, I'm trying to work out why these Hollywood stars would need to create a website. Well, it's their side projects, sure. It's uh, that's what it's all about. It's all about selling motorcycles on the side. Times must be hard. If you're yeah. Using something for twenty pounds a month or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm all for it, but at the same time, if you want it done properly, um, and you don't want to be left doing all the work, then don't start down that. I mean, what does properly mean in terms of websites? Um, good question. Uh, all websites, there is a way to build a website. So you'll hear lots of talk about Joomla, Drupal, WordPress, and lots of other platforms. We focus on a platform called WordPress and another called Silverstripe. Um, apart from that, we can build websites from scratch without these platforms. What these platforms do, they provide the content management element, and that is basically where you can log in to your website and have access to be able to add and remove pages, change the content on the page. You might be able to change the picture that appears at the top of the page or add a picture gallery. The way we describe it, when we build a website, anything you can see on every page of your website, you can manage. You can physically log in to the, the dashboard and make those changes. And if you find an error in your website that you want to change that you can't, we'll change it so you can. And that's proper what we call content management. There are levels of content management. Some people deliver alleged content management websites, but they can only do very specific things. Whereas our focus is, it's your website, that's your space, you should be able to control that space. Um, so content management is all part of it. Um, and being able to customise those sites because these platforms allow you to basically provide all the editing functionality. We still build the website, we still do the design, we apply the design. So effectively, you could look at a thousand WordPress websites in a single day and you shouldn't be able to tell it's WordPress because the design is in control of the designer. Yeah. Now, I have, I, I'm fairly capable, and many people are, of looking at some websites, and you can just look at the way it looks, and you can go, it's built in WordPress. But that's similar to how you can look at a Wix website and go, that's built in Wix. One of the things that we always push is that, I mean, the design is something that's owned by the client, so when we design, we design what a client wants. Yeah. We, we prefer and love to have a website where when you look at it, you have to really go, is that built on a platform? What platform is it? Because if you've done that, um, I think you've achieved, you know, good bespoke design. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you design for the clients. You can't make a client have what they don't want. 
So sometimes websites have that look and feel because they're looking at what other people have achieved with their designs and trying maybe to follow some of that element. We always work from a bespoke element. But, um, and the other thing with um, websites is plugins. These are a wonderful little thing. <laughs> WordPress is amazingly popular because there's an army of people out there that write little programs that do things and you can basically log into your WordPress dashboard, find a plugin that does almost anything you can conceive of. Um, say, for example, you just suddenly decided to set up a community on your website. You can find a plugin that manages communities. You can install it, read the manual, configure it, and add to your website a community um, element. And it's like very easy for the end user to do. That's what made it so popular. The problem for us is security, GDPR, hacking, you know, basically you can't just use any old plugin because that's someone else's code. So we've written a website using code because that's what it is at the end of the day. And if you stick somebody else's code in your code, how secure and well written is that code? Yeah. So our fear for many clients is they have websites built from plugins, so they have People that don't really know how to build websites, but they know how to use WordPress. So they sell websites, and these plugins allow them to deliver a really great-looking solution. But in reality, it could be really easy to hack, to get into, to get data from, yeah. cause a data breach. So even ourselves, we only use very, very carefully selected, trusted plugins. But generally, we write our own. So if you ask for a specific feature, we'll write a plugin for it. And we own the code, we know the code, and that's how we we could reuse these plugins again and again and tweak them. So it's a great world, but you still got to be careful with what you do. Um, so that's that. And I think you mentioned also a very important thing at the moment. So GDPR, yes, very very important. All the stuff you've heard is on a website. If you have a form, if you've got an inquiry form, and you need to have an opt-in. So when you Normally that at the bottom says, please tick here, so to be included in our newsletter. Please tick here to be, um, so that we can market to you. Please tick here so we can send your details to third parties. All of those messages need to be crystal clear. They have to be very precise and they have to allow you to opt in. So there can't be any pre-ticking and you can't have those awkward sentences like, would you like to sign up to um, the newsletter that we think you want, that you maybe don't want? but you're not sure whether to tick or untick this box. Can't do that. It has to be, click here to sign up to the newsletter, click here to sign up to that. Need to have a link to the terms and conditions and the privacy policy and make it absolutely clear to the end user what you are or not doing with their data. Yeah. So everybody, nearly everybody's got forms on the website, so everybody has something to do with GDPR. And another basic one is uh, an SSL certificate. Yawn, yawn, here he comes. <laughs> so what is the SSL certificate then, Stuart? So, an SSL certificate just makes the website secure. So when a form is sent from the website, it goes through the internet like an email does. So if you don't have an SSL, that travels through the internet in an unsecure way, and if somebody can intercept it, they can read the contents of it. So if your form is picking up personal information, then effectively you're allowing the data breach because you can't prove whether or not it got intercepted. So two things, GDPR is recommending put an SSL certificate. That secures that form traveling through the internet to keep it safe. 
we'd also say be careful about what information you capture on a form. Um, and then the final one is, um, I've lost my thread entirely, uh, with the SSL, having on the website it will confirm that you are, there are types of SSL. The basic one basically makes your site secure. Yep. So it will put a padlock on and go, you know, this website is secure. So you can tell by looking at the browser. If you go for an organisational validation, it basically confirms that your company's legit and it will keep the padlock on. But it's saying to people this, because anyone can create a website and put an SSL on it, that doesn't make them legit. That just makes their site secure. Yes. So what we're trying to do is get people to have organisational certificates so that it says this is a legitimate company with a secure website. And if you want to go the whole hog, you get what's called an extended validation. And what that will do is if you go to some of the big brands, type their website address in, it will replace the website address with their company name. Oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. So you get yeah, I do know that actually. Microsoft um, yeah. do it as the example. I go on Microsoft website and Outlook, yeah. um, and as soon as you type that in, it will come up with Microsoft PLC or yeah. something you like that. that. So yeah, there's something like every little helps. Yeah, <laughs> comment. But if you go to their website, it will say their, it will change the web address and say their name. And in certain browsers, you get a green bar, you get your padlock, and so you don't need, you can't have all those certificates at the bottom of the website. But that's how you, as a user, know you're on a secure website. Now, what Google have threatened to do later this year, uh, and I can send anyone the information, what they're saying is they're currently, if you type in a web address to a browser now that's not got an SSL, it says this site is not secure. Well, it does that in Safari, so you should try it in Chrome, IE, yeah. Firefox, or whatever, and see what you get. But it's already happening on Safari. I see it all the time. Yeah, I use Safari a lot as well and see that. What they're proposing to do is to actually put the search engine listings, it will put this site is not safe. So that's interesting. Whether you like it or not, Google are going to interfere with our world. Yes. So one big recommendation is get an SSL. They they are quite they're very very cheap to have and put on your site and tick another box with GDPR. Sort out your forms and uh, yeah, it's a secure socket layer certificate. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> so. Stuart, uh, thank you for, for giving us more of an explanation, especially into some of the terms that people don't necessarily know that much about, but hear it regularly. Um, if somebody was looking at, you know, uh, at creating a, a website or even changing their website to be more GDPR approved in a sense, you know, where do they start? Well, yes, actually, you asked me, well, part of the question I didn't really answer was, how do you, yeah, making a website secure? There's a certain way to build it. So you need to host it in a safe place. So if you use the efforts on TV for one, two, three, reg, go daddy, and all these companies yeah. that push at the consumer. So if you're an individual that wants a website, it's a great place to go. You know, get an account, it will give you all the tools. You'll have to work out how to do it. So you'll need some technical know-how, read a lot of manuals, but you can build your own site, and that's what they're great for. As a business, you need to make sure your website is hosted in a secure place. It's built using, you know, modern practices. Now, modern practices, if it's being built on a platform that you recognise, like WordPress, um, uh, Drupal, and all of these, then you can have a bit of confidence that it's on a safe platform. If it's being built from scratch by a good old-fashioned um, programming type company, the sort of thing that we do as well, then, again, it will be written using code 
and there's a way of writing and putting together that code. So it's hard for the end user to ever know. A classic one is you can have two websites and they look stunning to the end user. They would they'd be flawless. The user journey would be great, the graphics are great, the content is great, everything looks great. But if I showed you the code, we could probably show you one site has beautifully laid out code and the other site is it's working but it's a mess. Yeah. And that's problem. You can't tell. It's like a swan in the water, you know, gracefully going around, but the little little feet underneath are going ten to the dozen. Yeah. And that's the problem. You can't tell. The only way we can often tell without we can look at the code, anyone can actually look at the code of a website if it's not locked. But one thing we do get a sense of the website is look at marketing. If you look at the SEO of a website, it's really easy. So there's lots of companies saying, oh, I can SEO your website for X power, I can do this, I can do that, I can get you a million links and all these sorts of things. Steer clear of those. But what I would say is with basic understanding of SEO, you can look at any website and get a sense of if they've given attention to the SEO, they've likely constructed it properly. Because for SEO to work, you have to build it properly. And here's a few tips. When you look at the pages in a website, if the if the web address is say liquid computing.co.uk, you know, the home page will probably just be forward slash, it might say just liquid-computing.co.uk, it might say forward slash home. As you go through the sections, you'll start to see forward slash services, forward slash products, yeah. etc, etc. And basically that's one of the ground rules. So every page should tie up with the topic of a page. So Google expects to read a page and go, I need to understand this page. If I understand it, I'll put it in the search engine results. So if your page is about biscuits, you need your URL to go, whatever your company name is, forward slash products, forward slash biscuits. And then on the page, the big title should be biscuits. And you should have maybe a subheading with the word biscuits in. And then in the text, you'll refer to the word biscuits a few times. And you need to have three, four hundred words. So it needs to have a structure and a layout. And that's what Google relies on. Yeah. It's like having someone uh, a report. If it's got no structure, you would understand it. It's nicely laid out with headings and subheadings and sub-subheadings. That's how Google basically does a lot of its SEO. It just reads the page and tries to understand it. So if you follow those rules, your website stands a really good chance of being listed on search engines. Then the, the cute bit is trying to work out the focus, the focus keyword of the page is what will somebody type into Google to find something they're after. So if you can work that out and build your pages around those keywords, then you're maybe on a winner. Okay. Interesting. So thank you for explaining that as well. I think it would be interesting for the for the listeners to be able to understand what may need to be done, especially now with, with Google changing policies and all of these data protection um, laws coming in with GDPR. It's kind of at the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, there's a lot of people telling you to do one thing, but I think there's also a lot of people that are telling you the wrong thing. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. So we've spoken a little bit about the business and some of the areas that you cover. What are what are some of the things you've seen in Kent recently that you think is uh, is really good? Or um, let's let's down the positive. What's really good? And uh, maybe some of the businesses that you've seen that are doing really well lately, or some people, um, or networking, or anything like that 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 you found is really great in Kent at the moment. I think one of the biggest things for me is. 
on the it's the confidence just business confidence is high yeah when you've been you know I started from a sole trader um, and you know with my business partner now we've got a, um, a larger business and we're hoping to keep growing but over the years you know I've been through two recessions um, three. I started in one. And <laughs> um, there's been some tough times, but I've never experienced such a long period over the last few years of business confidence. Because I think in the past there was often lots of doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, and okay, these many of these all all the new clients and all the clients we've got. So existing clients all seem to be working positively, moving forward. Many growing their businesses, so that's a great sign. Obviously, providing more work for us, but yeah. they're getting more work, and it's it's building every business because all of their suppliers benefit. Um, new clients, we're seeing an awful lot of clients investing money in great websites, marketing. You know, marketing was one of those spends that just disappeared off the top <laughs> uh, in years gone by. Yeah. companies immediately, you know, stop marketing when actually they probably should do the opposite. I'm not a marketing expert. <laughs> myself. But that confidence, and also because I do a lot of networking, um, just by meeting them regularly with business owners, I don't know any that are struggling. Yeah. I don't know any that are really negative or, or talking doom and gloom or finding it difficult. Actually, everyone's really positive. So I think that's a really nice overall feeling of, because sometimes if I wasn't networking, if I'm stuck within my own business, I wouldn't know. Yeah. I maybe wouldn't know. I'd just be reading what's coming through on my email. But actually, I'm out there meeting clients and doing a lot of networking. And yeah, it's, yeah I feel like it's really good times. I, I, from something that I've noticed recently as well, I think the, the economic climate for businesses, especially in Kent, is actually very good at the moment. And it's probably just... It's it's not one of those times where it goes to a downturn or people are spending money. So you know when businesses are coming up and and making money now, if you're not making money now, then the likelihood is you're probably not going to succeed because we won't always have great times like this. Um, and it is good, you know, good times. People are spending money. People are looking at marketing, similar to how you said, and people are looking at different forms of marketing, different, uh, you know, different experiences on websites. And you know, this is a great time for people in those industries. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to to hear you say that actually, with the amount of optimism that there is at the moment. One other measure is often for us, where in the area of um, bespoke software, yeah, it's often a really good sign of positivity and mindset and growth because if you're willing because you'll put up with buying systems off the shelf that don't quite do what you do and you shoehorn your business into them yeah so you end up doing working business processes and practices around the software not the way the business should operate which is fairly crazy but done it myself yeah um, but when companies can basically say we need to invest on something that will do exactly what we want it to do um, or even spending money on websites, I mean, that in itself is a great measure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, from our perspective, it's all good. I mean, one, one other thing that we like to do on, on the show as well is um, just to give some praise to a business that you've seen in the area that's doing pretty well at the moment. You know, um, as Simon Ludden, as our previous guest, spoke about uh, some of the stuff they're doing with the Kent TV um, and some of the great things they're doing there. What, what's a business or an organisation that you've seen that's uh, you know you'd like to praise at the moment? Uh, there's a company called Patient Advocate actually that we've worked with for many many years now, supporting them. Um, 
they're basically developing a brand new medical product that's going out to market and it's, it's geared at companies. So it will provide healthcare support for the, all of the employees of the company. So we got involved initially with the website and then um, their IT systems and then we're writing software to help them manage and onboard the customers um, to save them setting up a call centre basically. Um, their, their business offering is quite unique. It's very, it's very low-cost solution for companies, but what they effectively do is they manage the health service for you. So yeah. if you need care and treatment, they get you in as quickly as possible, where you and I might struggle off our own backs. And when they can't achieve that, they have to put you in private care. So you get care, but it's where it's who has to provide it the most quickest. Yeah, that's the best way I can put it. I hope the boss doesn't mind me describing it like that. Um, but what's been, uh, you know, they're bringing something very new to the market and they've been very good at listening to advice about GDPR, yes. state security. So we actually recently upgraded their entire network and we put in place all the things we've talked about. So we've got antivirus, anti-ransom, they have their um, a good robust firewall and they have the full encryption suite and that goes to mobile devices as well. So. And what was really good about that is they wanted to deal with a particularly large client who subjected them to a full audit of their business processes and their IT system. So three days after the new network was in, they basically audited it. Uh, unfortunately, we got lots of uh, ticks in boxes and a very good glowing report. So for us, it, it, it validates what we're saying in terms of being able to provide the right security. Um, it means we can definitely help clients deal with GDPR issues. But it's not just about IT, it does go into other things. It's not just about IT, it's about business processes, etc. Um, but you know, a long-term relationship with a client who's probably going to be putting the product to market in the next year or so. Um, and they've worked really hard to do what they're doing and it's been a great journey for us. So to help them from literally a sole trader business to a large business, that's that's really something that floats our boat. Yeah. So yeah, well done, patient advocate, for doing what you're doing and getting so far. And we um, will hopefully tell you more about their their full launch and the successes they'll have in the future. Fantastic. So, um, just before we get into the final question of the day, um, just wanted to say thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Um, obviously, know you very well. We've known each other for well four, five, five years now, yeah. maybe. It's just, yeah, years. Yeah, just a few years. Um, so, yeah, really appreciate you being on the podcast and uh, and letting everybody know what it is that Liquid do and and uh, what, what yourself do as well. So now it's time to finish on the question of the day. So what's the one question that you'd like to ask the audience of the Kent Business Podcast that you need answering? Oh, it, it's an old question I've been asking since early days. Why do companies keep using the IT suppliers that don't do what they need doing, don't keep them happy? Um, I don't understand that. If I, see, if I come across companies, I often see that they're putting up with an inadequate level of service. And we don't know why. We'd love to help other companies throughout Ken. Um, we think we do the job absolutely brilliantly. Um, we, you know, we deal with all aspects of the IT, so the client doesn't have to go running around looking for different people to sort out. We do everything under one roof. But yeah, we do time and time again seem to see people putting up with something they shouldn't have to. 
You know, you, if your phones weren't working, you'd scream at the phone company. If your power wasn't working, you'd scream at the power company. I find it interesting that the IT can be fairly shoddy. Yeah. Yet the business will put up with it. So I'd love to know why companies <laughs> do that and what we can do to help them out of that. Okay, so if you have the answer to that question, then please get in touch with at Maximum underscore Media UK on Twitter. And also if you could at the letter L computing on Twitter as well with the hashtag KBP. So that will give you an opportunity to, to speak to myself and Stuart, answer the question, give your feedback on the podcast as well. And um, yeah, don't forget to follow us both. So... Stuart, how do people get in touch with you? So if, if they need all of this stuff, if they need um, you know, security, if they need a website, if they need to start looking at their GDPR practices online, you know, what's the best way of getting in touch? Best way, give us a call. Um, call us on Ashford 01233 800 545. And myself and the colleagues can take the call. If we can't answer the question straight away, we will do it very quickly. You can also email info at liquid-computing.co.uk. Um, you can also contact us through social media channels or via the website. But give us a call. That's the quickest and easiest way for us to start um, talking to you and giving you some answers. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you for being a guest on the podcast, Stuart. I really appreciate it. And um, we will see you all again next week.